You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. You may be seated. I know that for many of you, the Gloria today was a return to something that you had long missed. For me, it was my first experience of that that Gloria, and it just made me want to dance, uh, which is is fitting uh, today. Um, Here we are in the last Sunday of Ordinary Time. Um, Next week will be the first Sunday in the Advent season and mark the beginning of a brand new church year. I've already told some of you how I I love the Advent season, Um, this time of hopeful waiting, both for the celebration of the birth of Christ and waiting for his second coming. We, we honor his first advent and hope for his second. And it's fitting that we transition into that time by celebrating Christ the King. Because this Sunday reminds us for whom it is that we wait. The true King has come to earth and he has not abandoned it. The King will return. As I was preparing for this week, I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller that was actually on Psalm 2, so not the same passage, but it was talking about this desire for a king who will return and set things right, and how it seems like it's deeply embedded into our cultural consciousness. Even for those who have no, um, who don't proclaim any faith in Jesus, we tell stories over and over again. We love stories about the king who's going to return and set things right, all the way back from the tales of King Arthur who is who brought justice into the land, and, and there's this, this legend that he will return again one day to the Lord of the Rings, where there's a king who's wandering in the wilderness, who's lost and doesn't have his throne, and that's at least part of why things are not right. Um, or even the, the stories that we watch with our kids. The Lion King is a story of a king who was thrown out in a land that fell into disarray because the true king was not there until he came back. And I was reading to my kids The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe recently. Um, So we were reading it out loud together. And I love the moment where Peter and Susan and Lucy first hear the name of Aslan and hear that he's on the move. And they feel this just inexplicable thrill of hope when they hear that he's coming. It resonates with me. These stories of kings returning and setting things right resonate with me, and I think they resonate with, with humanity in general because they are true. They're telling a true story because we, too, long for the king who can and will set things right to return and take his rightful place over all of creation. The longing that we have is good. It points us to something that is, that is true. It points us to our need for Christ. It puts him in the proper place at understanding that he is the true ruler of all things. And it also recognizes our inability to fix the world on our own. But there's also a danger in this sort of longing. We can begin to idealize the one for whom we long and make the king in our own minds as we would like him to be rather than as he actually is. This is perhaps particularly dangerous for us here in the United States in this age. Few of us have ever lived under any king or any royalty at all. It's been 250 years almost since Americans had any allegiance to a king. 
And many monarchies in the West, even if you have lived elsewhere, are largely symbolic. Instead, in the West, we put great value in democracy, where true power is, is put into the hands of the people. And we look very suspiciously upon governments that centralize um, authority into the hands of a single person. If you think of a handful of, of world leaders who you can probably name or think of um, in our lifetime who held absolute authority over their, over their countries, it's probably not benevolent dictators that come to mind. It's probably despots that have been overthrown or people who still long for freedom and, and we desire to see democracy come. And so it's common to look upon these autocratic states as either primitive or corrupt. Or at best, if we do have the rare example of a benevolent dictatorship, we may see it as a necessary step, an unfortunate but necessary step on the transition to democracy for people. Maybe they needed to have that good leader who would lead them into the way of democracy that they could step in. And we have no real concept of a powerful king in the way that the writers in the early centuries who were living under the reign of, of the Caesars would have understood what it meant to talk about a ruler who had all authority. So it's easy to imagine a king maybe who clears out our problems, but then is still distant, really only helps if we need it or ask for it. Maybe a king who um, is still really, truly beholden to us and our desires as the people. But the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians today is clear. That's not the kind of king that's coming back. The kind of king that's coming back, the King Jesus is coming back to a rule of absolute authority. 1 Corinthians says that every ruler and power and authority that stands against him will be destroyed, deposed, cast down, thrown out. All his enemies will be placed beneath his feet. Jesus reigns now and forever. And the only one to whom he will submit is God the Father. When we look upon the king this way, powerful and awesome, in the actual true sense of the word, <laughs> ready and able to conquer all who stand in his way, the return of the king is still good news, but only if you're on his side. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe begin, just as Peter, Susan, and Lucy felt a thrill of joy at the name of Aslan, Edmund, who had already betrayed his brothers and sisters, felt a pang of dread at his name. He just felt a sense of fear. The rule of a powerful king is good for his friends and terrible for his enemies. And all of us are, by nature, enemies of God. We deserve to be among those whom Christ destroys and casts down at his return. If we only are standing on our own merits... It's only by grace that any of us can stand before him on the day of his return. Romans 5 actually uses this language. It says that God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will be, we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. The natural state of every human being, since Adam on, is to be an enemy of God. And we cannot change that on our own. We cannot switch sides and switch allegiance under our own power. It is only by grace that our 
iniquities can be wiped away, that our rebellion can instead be brought under the authority of Christ. And all things will one day be brought under the rule of Christ. Every enemy will be cast down, every opposing power destroyed. But there's some of us were already defeated, not by wrath, but by love, so that we could await his return with hope and joy. We were conquered, not by strength of arms, but by arms stretched out upon the cross in a willing sacrifice for those who rebelled against God. We are covered, not with the blood of a battlefield, but with the blood of Christ, our Passover lamb. The return of the conquering king is good news, not because we will, be, um, not because we will not be subject to his rule, but because we already are. The merciful king looks with love on those who have surrendered. But it's important to note, he does demand complete and total surrender. This is the powerful, conquering, almighty king, and he does not negotiate terms. And I think that this is something that's hard for all of us. I think for every one of us, there's something in our lives that we want to try to negotiate with God. Some condition that we want to try to put upon following him, or some idol that we try to set alongside Christ, where we say, yes, Christ reigns, but also... Or maybe some sin that we hold on to, something that we just don't want to give up. In part, this comes because of the culture that we live in. We're not used to giving up our autonomy. Freedom itself is idolized. And so when we read passages in the Bible that say, like in Romans 6, where it says that we were once slaves of sin, but are now slaves of righteousness, for many of us, our first response is, I am no one's slave. And then in part, it comes because we have not fully left the flesh behind. Not that we're looking to, to have no physical body, but the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam. Christ has bought us with his blood. It is true, but our sanctification, our, our being made pure is not yet complete, and we feel the tension in ourselves, in our very bodies, our war against righteousness. So what is it for you? What's the thing that you're tempted to try to hang on to that you don't want to submit to the rule of Christ? There are many things for many people. Some of them might be good in themselves. Blessings we desire, and that maybe even God may choose to give, but not conditions that we may set. Maybe it's the health of a family member. God, I'll follow you if only you would heal. If only you would make this person well. Maybe it's the, the desire for fulfilling work, which is a good desire in us. We're made to work, but, but if it's God, I'll follow you, but not if I have to do that. Not if I have to give up that opportunity. Maybe it's just a, you desire a good and easy life. God, I'll follow you, but not if it requires too much suffering. Not if there's too much that I have to sacrifice or give up. Or a relationship. God, I'll follow you, but only if I, can, if I can have this sort of relationship. Only if you'll, give me, if you'll give me that. Or even a political agenda. God, I'll follow you, but I want to be able to 
to say that this is true whether or not it accords with your word. I want to take a stand on, on these things that I, I they seem like they're against what you have to say, but I still, this is what I must do. This is what our nation must look like. This is what things must look like for us. What is it that you hold on to, that you cling, that you set alongside the reign of Christ? We cannot follow Christ with a yes and mentality. Where I'll say, yes, I'll follow you, and I expect you to give me this. There are many blessings that come in Christ, but none that we can hold up as conditions to him. And for some of us, it's not even good things, good desires. Our, our desires have gone astray. They've been twisted. They've been warped by sin, and it is something even darker that we long for. God, I'll follow you, but I, I want to cling to lust. I want to be able to look at images that make me excited, or I want to be able to just desire things that I know are not good for me. God, I, I'll follow you, but I'll still, you know, occasionally go out and, and drink too much because that's, that's okay, right? Or I'm just going to follow you, but, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be addicted to entertainment. I'm going to spend all of my spare hours, all of my moments looking at my phone or my television. And I'm going to fill my mind with things that have nothing to do with you. All of us have something that we try to cling to. What is it for you? And now, as I say this, I'm not saying that we have to be perfect and be stop sinning completely to follow Christ. God does call us to be holy as he is holy, but... That standard of perfection is one that no one can meet. We are still in the flesh. We are still struggling. But we have to name these things as sins and lesser goods. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, you have to hate your father and mother and brother and sister to follow me. You have to love me so much that even these things, these good relationships that I have given you are as nothing. You're willing to lay them down for me. So we have to work to root out our idolatries, to root, up, to root out the things that we try to, to hold on level with Christ. We have to pray for mercy. Ultimately, we have to surrender to the king. And this sounds hard, and it is. But when we do it, when we surrender to the king, when we come back to him in repentance over and over again, when we lay aside those things that we cling to that are not good, that we, that we try to put in place of him, we'll find that while we are subject to the king, only then are we actually truly free. Because there's a freedom that comes in serving the good king. We become free of fear. In the first Corinthians passage, there are, there's the fear of death. The understanding that right now all of us still hang under the, the sentence of death. That there is this, this death looms large in our existence. It, it looms large in our culture. It looms as an end to all of our personal lives. And it is frightening and scary. But when we are united with Christ, when we understand, we put him in the place of king, we remember that he is the one who is already victorious over death. 
And if we are willing to be united with him in his death, if we are willing to, to die to ourselves, to die to sin, to set those idols aside, then not only do we die to that, but also we rise with him in resurrection glory. And death is no longer something to be feared. An enemy still, yes, but an enemy that has already been defeated. Its sting has already gone out. And one day, death itself will die. One day, death itself will be destroyed, and no more will we have to struggle and fight and look at this, at this enemy, but only for those who are in Christ. It's the only way. Our New Testament, our gospel passage that we read, talks about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And when we surrender to Christ, when we walk into this path of new freedom, we also lose the fear of judgment. Not because we are perfect, but because we are His. Because we belong to Him. That He looks at us and, and says, Yes, I recognize you because you recognize me. The passage from Matthew is, is easy to look at it and, and turn it into a sort of works-based righteousness. That, that perhaps we are, we'll, we'll be, belong with Jesus if we have behaved and, and done right things. And God does call for justice. But what he looks for above all, what he's, even in this passage, what he's doing is identifying those who know him, who listened to his voice, who obeyed him, who submitted to him. And if we have done that, if you repent, if you turn to Christ, if you hear the good news that God sent his son into the world to die and save us and truly believe that and accept that, then judgment itself is no longer something to be feared. It's something to celebrate because the king is going to come down and cast down every ruler and authority. All the sin that, that still reigns in our world is going to, to be destroyed and judgment becomes good news. If we surrender to Christ, we are free to hope. No matter how dark things may get before us, no matter what suffering God may call us into, there is an end to it. Because Christ reigns. He is Lord. He is victorious. And so if we surrender to Him, if we are united with Him in His kingdom, then there is hope in the darkness. And we are free to serve the King. We are free to, to step into the life that he has for us. It is good, and it is fulfilling, and it is something that he calls us into true life as a community and as individuals. He has a place for you in his kingdom. But you must surrender. To be a servant of the king is a joyful thing, but not if you're fighting him the whole time. And when we do this, when we surrender to Christ, when we live into to the life that he has given us and we recognize him as King of kings and Lord of lords, we can taste and see that he is good. In our Old Testament passage, again, it had this image of, of God coming and separating the, the sheep from the sheep and the sheep from the goats. It might be where Matthew even got some of his imagery from. But what is key to this is that he actually comes after a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel who are not doing justice. The people who are supposed to be ruling and who are supposed to be bringing justice to their people, who are supposed to be leading them into good places, and they're not. 
And that's the experience that many of us have in this world, that those who are supposed to be our leaders who are taking us into good things, instead, they lead us astray. They don't fulfill the purposes God has given them. And this is not just a statement about politics. This is a statement about anybody whom we follow. All of us will find that people, that they, they fall short, they disappoint us. They don't do what they're supposed to to lead us to Jesus. And God says, I myself will be your shepherd. I myself will be the shepherd and you'll find that I am good. I will feed them, you, with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel will be your grazing land. You shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the judgment here is against those who have not themselves done justice against those who have exploited others, against those who have not submitted to the way of the king, who have not followed in the life that he has set before them, who have not been the shepherds that they were supposed to be, they'll find that they are in fact sheep as well. And the true shepherd will come and judge them and throw them down from their injustice so that justice may reign forever. This is the hope that we have when we recognize Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The gospel becomes good news for those who surrender and submit to the King. So I encourage you, surrender to Him. If, if you're listening to this, if, you're, if your life, if you have not turned it over to recognize Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, do so now. And if you have, and there's something in your life that you see, a place in your life that you're holding back, that you're refusing to give to him, something that you're trying to hold on alongside Jesus the King, repent, turn away, give it up. And it's hard, and it's painful. There's a cost to it, but it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it because the gospel will become truly good news for you. Where we can rejoice with all the rest of creation, with God's heavenly angels and with all his people, that Jesus the King is coming again. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.